Aviad just said about the microphone, it's not really connected, but it still works. <laughs> That's a very good description of me as well. Um, thank you for having me here today and for the event tomorrow as well. Um, uh, I was speaking to Gidon a few weeks ago and he said, when are you coming to Israel? And I said, when I'm invited, I'm going to wait till I'm invited. It's like vampires, they can't come in unless you invite them in. So British alcoholics, vampires, same category. Um, louder? Okay. Um, I think I'll use my voice to project more than the microphone. <coughs> uh, my friend Tom says that he's an alcoholic and 100,000 Al-Anon meetings helps. <laughs> um, I've needed a lot of help from a lot of people. Yeah. How is that now? Right, so how is that now? Can you hear? Um, I'll project a little more directly to the back of the room, okay? Um, as I say, I've needed a lot of help from a lot of people in a lot of different fellowships. What I have to offer. Um, what I have to offer comes from a lot of different people. Um, I can. Should we? We could turn the microphone off and I. Can't be that We could turn it off. I can try to project. Okay. So as long as I do it from my diaphragm, I'm fine. <laughs> Okay, can everyone hear me now? Yes. Okay, and you're fine at the back. <clears throat> so what I have to offer today is my experience, strength and hope from a lot of different angles. I'm not an orthodox AA member, <laughs> so if you like a very literal approach to the big book, um, we may not get on, who knows. <laughs> um, anything I have to offer, if it's helpful, that's wonderful. If it doesn't help, don't worry about it. It's gonna be fine. Uh, we don't all have to agree. We don't all have to have the same experience. Um, there's a, a line here in the big book 
Uh, that's where they put the instructions. It doesn't say instruction manual on the front, but it's the instruction manual. You just, if no one's told you that, at least you get that from today. Um, there's a line here at the end of the preface where it says, if you have a drinking problem, we hope that you may pause in reading one, one of the 42 personal stories and think, yes, that happened to me, or more important, yes, I felt like that, or most important, yes, I believe this program can work for me too. It knows that you will read 41 stories and say, I have nothing to do with these people. I do not identify, but you'll read one and it will get through. So maybe I'll be the one of your 42 people you need to hear, maybe not. If not, it's a pleasant environment. There are some nice people here, get to know them. And there's food, so what can go wrong? Um, so, I'm an alcoholic, and I qualify for half a dozen other 12-step fellowships. I've primarily used AA, and it has solved all of my other problems. Uh, because, in my opinion, this is there, there may be opinions today. In my opinion, there is one God. So if I find access to my higher power through... AA, it gives me the power necessary to solve the other problems, but I needed to know what the other problems were. <laughs> um, there's a, an old AA speaker who uh, I think was your sponsor's old sponsor, who said that there was a man in AA who thought he was, he was terrified of dogs and he looked back through his past and he realized that he was chased or bitten by a dog when he was a child and so he spent his whole time terrified of dogs but this didn't satisfy him and he dug a little deeper and discovered the reason he was bitten by a dog was that he was chasing a girl and it helps to know what the problem is. You can't solve the problem until you know what the problem is. And uh, so I'm 47, going on 48. Um, uh, my last drink was when I was 21. And you're applauding yourselves. So, <laughs> or the higher power, or, but, but it's not because of me that I'm sober. It required work, but the ability to do the work came from desperation. I didn't create my own desperation as an act of the will. And so to immediately bring in an Al-Anon angle, um, the reason the alcoholic or the addict is not getting sober yet is because probably they're not desperate enough. And me shouting is not going to make them desperate. <laughs> it's not going to help. 
Um, I needed to ask for help without anyone prompting me to ask for help. I heard a story at an AA meeting the other day. Uh, it was a Russian man who lives in London. And during his drinking, he drank a bottle of vodka a day. He's sober a few years now. And he was drinking his vodka, and he opened a new bottle, and he poured out the vodka, and he drank a gulp, and another gulp. And he realized, this isn't vodka, this is water, what's going on? And he opened a different bottle, and this tastes like water, this was water too. And so he went to the, the off-license is the place in England where you buy the alcohol. Uh, he went to the off-license and he started to shout at the people in the off-license saying, why have you sold me vodka, which is water? And he started to fight and they called the police and he punched the policeman and he was arrested. And the policeman said to him, um, who are your next of kin? Who is your family? And he said, no one cares about me. And they, uh, they found another policeman who said, oh, we know him, he's here every week. This is his wife's number. So the policeman called the wife. The wife called the best friend who was a doctor. And doctors, as we know, help people. I don't know if any of you try to help people, but doctors try to help people. So he turned up at the police station um, and my friend explained what had happened. And the doctor started to look very embarrassed and said, it was me that put the water in the vodka bottles. I thought if I put the water in the vodka bottles, it would help. And my friend said to him, next time you want to help me, why don't you wait until I ask? I did not know why I was listening to this story until I heard the end. <clears throat> I've spent a lot of my life trying to help people who weren't asking me to help. But back to alcohol. Um, let's have it on the record that I drank buckets and buckets of alcohol and terrible things happened. I don't want to spend the next six hours talking about the terrible things that happened when I drank. But what I do need to explain is how I know I'm an alcoholic and not just a heavy drinker. And there's a very helpful passage to me, um, which if you have your big books handy, is at the bottom of page 20 and the top of page 21. Um, it says, then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him, that's harm him, physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. And by the time I was 18, before I ever drank, I was neurotic but essentially sane. Uh, Neurotic is when it bends, psychotic is when it snaps. 
and you have two separate parts and you can't glue the two parts together again. Like one of those plastic rulers, a neurotic ruler, you bend it, it's un... Okay, so <laughs> neurotic is when, you, when it bends, psychotic is when it snaps. So a, a plastic ruler, you bend it and it's still under tension, but it, it's still intact. You can still measure things with it. Psychotic is when it's snapped. The two pieces don't fit. You can't measure things anymore. Before I ever drank, I was neurotic. I wasn't yet psychotic. But by the age of 18, the only thing that was important in my life was escaping this world. And I would spend a little time in what you called reality in order to polish the front door. As long as the front door looked clean and tidy, who cared what was inside the house? But I was getting physically sick. I was getting crazy. I was having incidents where I was behaving like a wild animal. And not one of those cute wild animals, the crazy wild animals. Um, and I could see, my, my brother, by the way, was an alcoholic who committed suicide when he was 28. So we knew in my family that whatever this was kills people. And I understood clearly that I had a terrible problem. So, so far, so good. I might be a certain type of hard drinker. However, if a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate. Stop or moderate. Two options. If, if, you can't, if you're having a terrible time, those are the two remaining options. If carry on, is not an option, you've got stop or you've got moderate. Um, says this man, the certain type of hard drinker, can also stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult and troublesome and may even need medical attention. Let's look at stop. <laughs> okay, option one. Um, how many of you have lived in Russia? None of you have lived in Russia. Maybe you know some people who've lived in Russia. <laughs> Just nod slowly if you have. Um, um, I, sp I spent the end of my drinking in St. Petersburg trying to get sober. They were, still, they were still calling it Leningrad. And the name on the, the name on the label was St. Petersburg, but it was still Leningrad. This was really clear. Um, and when you buy a vodka bottle in Russia, it may be the same here. When you buy a vodka bottle, there is a little metal cap and you unscrew the cap and you pour your glass of vodka. And if you're foreign, you try to screw the cap back on, but it just goes round and round and round. <laughs> you're not going to be screwing the cap back on. The, the bottle is not going in your bag. It'll go everywhere, so you have to drink it. 
Now, back in England, I discovered that none of the bottles had ordinary caps anymore. The bottle was going to be finished. Uh, the last bottle of alcohol I drank, the only reason it wasn't finished was because a helpful policeman took the bottle from my hand. You see, helping professions, they help such a lot. Um, uh, moderation is not an option for me. And there's another line in the doctor's opinion. Uh, it's on the second page of the doctor's opinion. They've messed up the page numbering. There are hundreds of versions of the big book and none of the page numbers in the doctor's opinion agree. So this is on the second page of the doctor's opinion. Um, it did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality, or were outright mental defectives. Uh, now that's a long sentence. Uh, let's make it simpler. So the reason I drank entire bottles, not small kiddush cups of alcohol, was not because I was unhappy. It was not because I was mad. It was not because I was dumb. So by the end of the drinking, there were psychotic episodes. But when I was sober, I wasn't psychotic generally. I, there were moments of madness, but essentially I could still think. Um, I wasn't dumb, and I was unhappy most of the time, but I drank like that even when I was happy. So the re I conclude I have a physical craving for alcohol when I start to drink. What does that mean? Uh, a friend of mine says, uh, you don't realize you have a craving for oxygen until someone cuts off the supply and then you realize you're very fond of oxygen. Mm -hmm. You don't realize you're stuck to the seat with a piece of chewing gum until you try to get up. The craving, because I satisfied the craving by drinking more, I didn't realize I had it. When my then 67-year-old mother got between me and the alcohol, the craving kicked in, or rather I recognized the craving, I pushed the 67-year-old woman out of the way to get to the alcohol. So I have a compulsion to drink. What does physical craving mean? Uh, it doesn't mean I feel it in my body, it means it's coming from my body, in that if my mind has a spiritual awakening, my body doesn't care. If I have a substance I'm addicted to, if I engage in an insane addictive pattern, once I start, it decides when I'm going to stop. My body decides when I'm going to stop. I get the, with certain types of sexual activity, I get a chemical rush exactly the same way as I do with, uh, ro with me it was romance more than, romantic fantasy. I'm going to be saved again, 
I've known you for eight minutes, but I know you're perfect. Why? Because your eyes locked with mine across the room, and you saw me seeing you seeing me. And the deal, that the, the contract was signed for another year. And I don't know your name, but no one else now exists. Um, when I start, my body decides when I'm going to stop. And I first got sober in oh, 1990. Took me three years between first getting sober and having my last drink. <coughs> and I stopped for three months. The, a friend of mine, I quote my friend Tom the whole time. I asked him for some advice before coming to Israel. He said, be flexible, be practical, mention me. So I'm, I don't know if I've been flexible yet. I don't know if I've been practical, but I'm going to mention Tom. Tom says, dancing is, uh, drinking, if you're an alcoholic, is a lot like dancing with a gorilla. Uh, you're not done dancing until the gorilla is done dancing. And at, so the Al-Anon footnote, by the way, in the original story, it wasn't dancing, it was dating. <laughs> except it, it wasn't dating. I'll just, <laughs> never mind, just ask a friend if you didn't get that. Um, if I try to get between the alcoholic and the, or the addict and their addiction, I'm going to get my arms and my legs pulled off and not by the gorilla. Um, so the gorilla lets go when the gorilla lets go. In 1990, the gorilla let go. Now, we're not even at the crazy bit. Um, I had three months sober this time in Finland, which is... Anyone lived in Finland? Probably not. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of drinking in Finland. But I was in the middle of nowhere. The sun didn't set in the summer. It was beautiful. Uh, and I was largely sober for three months. But something had broken, and the two pieces of the ruler, I couldn't put them together again. I couldn't work out how to exist in the same reality I'd been in before I ever drank. And in the September of that year, I started drinking with no memory of why I had ever stopped. Um, and this is where we're back on page um, 21. Um, the certain type of hard drinker can stop or moderate if he has a good enough reason. And I could, I could stop for a while, but I always started again. And that's why I need something more than just good old common sense and reason. There is nothing wrong with reason. There is nothing wrong with information. Um, there's a useful passage on the bottom of page 44 of the big book, top of 45. Um, if a mere code of morals 
I didn't have a code of morals. Uh, if, or a better philosophy of life. I had no philosophy of life. When I was 11, um, I said to my mother something like, I'm depressed. And she said, oh, we're all depressed. But then you get married, you have children, and that keeps you busy. Um, so I didn't really have a code of morals or a, if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life I mean the advantage of that philosophy at least it's simple at least it's clear you know what you have to do uh, the other element of the philosophy of my life came in when I was when my brother committed suicide I was 10, 11, somewhere in there I don't know the exact age that tells you something about you know, I tend to block things out. Um, no one said he'd committed suicide. I realized because of dreams I had a number of years later, I saw the place where he died in a dream and how he died. And I asked my parents, I would, the dream was right. Uh, so sometimes the universe has a way of giving you information that no one else will give you. Uh, just a little digression on that point. Okay. So I'll just tell the digression story and then, uh, okay. Um, someone asked me yesterday how I got to AA. When I was 21, on a Sunday morning, I was walking from my room to the kitchen. Between the room and the kitchen was a telephone on top of a yellow pages, telephone directory. Uh, you'll have to explain what that is to the children <laughs> later on, but children is anyone under 40, I understand. Um, they can vote, but still. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know why I opened the telephone directory and looked up the word alcohol. But under the word alcohol, someone had made sure there was an entry which said Alcoholics Anonymous. So I called the number. I did not know Alcoholics Anonymous existed, but the universe had a way of giving me information. It, I, w I didn't plan to open the book I didn't plan to call, I found myself calling. And I went to a meeting and then things gradually changed. Um, if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life was sufficient, oh, the story, the di digression upon digression. Um, what I was gonna say, the second element of my philosophy for life. When my brother committed suicide, um, my, I think it was my aunt said to me, do well at school, it will take everyone's pain away. Now, of course, this is a grown-up telling me this, so it must be true. So this, I had now the full philosophy of life. If a better philosophy of life was sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago but we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us no matter how much we tried. 
we could wish to be moral, we could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed utterly. Now, it doesn't say our human resources were of no use at all. It says they weren't sufficient. So I needed information. I needed some intelligence, just a little bit. And the intelligence I needed was, who is the least crazy person in the room? Let's ask them. So that's what I've always done in AA and in Al-Anon. Who is calm and cheerful and confident and has a sense of humour? Uh, let's, uh, you know, let's go. Let's meet for lunch. This is a good thing to do. It doesn't mean that information is useless. Um, in some parts of the world, let's not start naming countries. Intellect is a bad word. Intelligence is a bad word. Knowledge is a bad word. Um, I needed to know that the condition I had was not going to be solved by intelligence and reason and knowledge alone. But I also needed to understand that the condition I have is three things. It is progressive, which means it's going to get worse, not immediately. Maybe it will get better for a while, but then it will get worse. Um, in my family, the people who aren't alcoholics or addicts or religious fanatics, which can be an addiction, I've been told, uh, or eat, pe there are people with eating disorders, the ones who aren't are the ones, apart from my brother, they're the ones that try to commit suicide and do succeed. The people with the addictions, the process addictions or the substance addictions have something to take the edge off. Um, the condition in my aunt, um, uh, she's 88 and she has the family disease of alcoholism in one of its forms. Uh, uh, she, she's 88 or so, so it's 86, 87, 88, somewhere in there. My mother is 90. And she uh, finally tried to commit suicide in the last few weeks. So this is a prog it progressed and it progressed and it progressed until the point that it was, in her case, almost fatal. Um, it's also incurable, which means that uh, I'm almost 26 years sober. It's 25 years since my first Al-Anon meeting, which I went to because he has the problem. Um, he still has the problem, like the person <laughs> I went to Al-Anon for still has the problem. Um, you can give him the keys to things today and trust that the, the thing will be okay, but he still has alcoholism. Um, <coughs> I can get really crazy um, and I can tell that I'm getting really crazy because my first thought when I wake up in the morning is I don't want to be here. 
I don't know where I want to be, but here's not right. Here meaning your planet, not my planet, this is your planet, for some reason I've, I'm here and you've broken it and you need to fix it in accordance with my instructions. So those of you who are paying attention have probably realised we have segued into Alanon territory. So I'm going to do something on my understanding of Alanon step one. No one agrees with me in Alanon on this, but no one agrees with anyone in Alanon. You, that's why there are 37 Alanon books, each written by 2,000 people, and you can't you compare two pages. It's like, are they even in the same fellowship? Who who? I you know, you'll find I find something useful on every page, but nothing makes sense. Um, so my my understanding of my Alanon step one. There is a really basic level. Um, about ten years ago, I had been telling pe telling sponsees how to work an Al-Anon program because I so I didn't have an active alcoholic in my life, um, and I'd used Al-Anon principles, uh, 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 an Al-Anon mentor to sp to sponsor me. Uh, I had a, a, I thought a pretty good Al-Anon program. When other people had a problem with their alcoholic, I, I knew exactly what to say and it helped. And then um, my best friend was in relapse on alcohol, on drugs, on all sorts of things, and I forgot everything I knew. And I went into full-blown Al-Anon relapse with no warning. And I'll tell you what that looked like. Um, my Al-Anon problem is all about responsibility. Not knowing what is my responsibility and what is your responsibility. Uh, my first part of my Al-Anon slip was, um, I'm responsible for you. If I don't carry the message to you, no one else will, because I can re I'm special, you're special, we have a very special bond, and so I can reach you where no one else can. So I'm going to explain it very, very carefully and very, very simply. And if, I do if you don't get it, I'm going to repeat myself. <laughs> and then I'm going to get angry because anger's gonna help. Anger will get the message through the wall of denial. Um, so I bulldoze. Okay, I'll tell this. I'll tell this one story. I know you've heard that one before, but I'll tell. <laughs> I'll finish the step one, then we'll have a little pause and some time to. Let's. We'll have a break after that. Um, so I take on different characters when I'm in my Alanon slip. The first one is the bulldozer. I'm getting from A to B and I don't care who is in the way and who needs to be used in order to get there. So I put myself in charge of other people's recovery. These are the meetings you're going to go to. This is who you're going to call. I get them to call the person and it's delicious because I have all the power and I don't need to look at what's wrong with me. There is a moment where everything is going to be fine because I'm now the center of the universe and 
who needs God who. Um, uh, and along with that role comes the saviour and the prime mover. The prime mover is the cause of everything. If they're upset, it's because of me. If they have a scowl on their face, it's because of me. If they had a good day, it's because of something useful I told them. It all comes from me. Um, the martyr. So when you, you when you do everything yourself, because if they do it, it won't be done right. You'll have to do it again anyway. Because none of the dishes can go up. If they do the dishes, you'll have to take down the dishes when they're out of the room and rewash them because they have no idea. I mean, that may be because they're men. When they go to, you know, at man's school, they don't teach them how to do that stuff. But, but in any case, this is the martyr. I'm exhausted and it's your fault because you're incompetent. So if you weren't so incompetent, I wouldn't have to be dead. Um, um, the button pusher. So I'm good at knowing where other people... I can spot your weak points from 50 paces. And I know how to cause pain. You know those thrillers where um, they're trying to torture the truth out of someone and they send people they send all of the bullies in with the, the, the huge weaponry and it doesn't work and the spy doesn't tell the truth and then they send in the Chinese doctor with these tiny little to instruments of torture and within 10 minutes the truth is out and this is one of my Al-Anon skills is that I'm very I pay attention to other people's defects and I know exactly where to put the knife. Um, Florence Nightingale. Um, so the nurse, there is nothing more delicious than being the person that other people come to for help. So Florence Nightingale was a famous nurse in the middle of the Crimean War which was uh, one, of, one, of, one of the worst wars that... Where the British have been involved in many terrible wars. This was at least in one of the top 100 terrible wars we've been <laughs> involved in. Um, what's interesting about Florence Nightingale is she didn't stop the war, she just tended the wounded. So whatever I'm doing is not stopping. It's not, it's not treating the problem, it's treating one of the symptoms but more wounded are coming in and there is no relief and I'm exhausted. And I don't know if you have seen a film called Misery where um, a character in the film finds uh, in a car crash her favourite author, her favourite author, and she says to him, I'm your number one fan and she drags him to her house uh, to look after him and make him better. Except as soon as he starts to get better, she smashes his ankles with a mallet so he can't walk. And um, one thing that I, mistakes I've made as a sponsor is to undermine the confidence of a sponsee in order that they remain reliant on me. So I take responsibility for you. Now, of course, when I'm taking responsibility for you, I'm not taking responsibility for me. 
because who has time? Um, in my first year in recovery, uh, I was exhausted as usual, and I phoned my sponsor and told him about the thousand things I needed to do to stop my life, to stop my life from breaking apart. And he said, have you smelled a flower recently? And so I had to repeat the situation because he obviously wasn't very bright. And he said, go and smell a flower. Don't call me until you've smelled a flower. It took 50 minutes for me to identify and then smell a flower. Um, I won't take the time for me. Um, on the plane, they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first. Um, by the way, it's an Al-Anon slip for me to put your oxygen mask on first. It's also an Al-Anon slip for me to put my oxygen mask on first, but then not to help you with yours. You can suffocate. Who cares? It's your life. So, you know, there... <laughs> I I can't do for you what you can do for yourself, but if you can't do it for yourself, it is my job to help you. Um, so my Al-Anon problem is I'm not re I'm not re I'm not responsible. Okay, so I I can't I shouldn't I can. <laughs> But I shouldn't do for you what you can do for yourself. But I should do for you what you can't. It is my job to help if you can't help yourself and I'm the appropriate person. There is a duty there. Or at least to find someone else who can. So I don't say yes to everyone who asks me to sponsor them. Uh, but I will always help someone find someone more appropriate if I'm not the appropriate person. The reason I will take responsibility for you is because I forget that I am powerless over you. And all of the consequences of that. Um, okay, there are two more crazy parts. I deny your responsibility for you. And so with this crazy alcoholic addict 10 years ago uh, my life was centering on this person but I was so forgiving you know uh, forgiveness it was right but I denied his responsibility for taking care of his own recovery and I let myself be used for the benefit of his addiction and his recovery um, so it's where I let myself be trampled on and I fail to set adequate boundaries uh, because I won't let you take responsibility for you. And then, okay, it gets even crazier. And I've had relationships with alcoholics where you are responsible for me. If I feel something, it's because you've done something. Or I'm broken, you're the sweater. I'm cold, you're the sweater. I'm the, I'm the problem, you're the solution. You're going to fix me. And I don't know why I've always sought out alcoholics to fix me or addicts to fix me, but they're just a little less dull than ordinary people. 
there is an that and I think I understand why in my own case and I'll finish on this point so they can do lots of neat technical stuff um, <clears throat> one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous wrote a letter to Dr. Carl Jung the psychiatrist um, mercifully it wasn't to Freud I think Freud was probably dead by then or maybe not answering mail uh, but he wrote he wrote to Jung and Jung talked about alcoholics seeking in alcohol contact with the divine a union with the divine and when I was drinking and it worked I had contact with a fake ersatz version of the divine when I play God for a little while I feel like what it's I imagine it's like to sit in God's seat there is contact with a higher realm or at least contact with a reflection of a higher realm um, and uh, a friend of mine in a country beginning with A, how's that for anonymous? A friend of mine in a country beginning and ending in A. Um, <laughs> the list's sh shortening now. Uh, and it's not Austria. Um, <laughs> could be Australia. Uh, has been going to AA for a number of years, but is not an alcoholic. I think she drank too much a dozen times. But I understand why she's in AA. I mean, there are some other fellowships we're guiding her towards. She's investigating other, other fellowships. She's got an amazing big book sponsor helping her with the, the stuff she's dealing with. But I understand why she goes to uh, AA meetings. Uh, as an Al-Anon, the alcoholic is my drink. And the AA meeting is a free bar all you can drink and you can go every day <laughs> um, it's my instant access when I feel disconnected I connect to your energy in AA and here's the weird thing when I go to Al-Anon meetings if I'm disconnected from God okay if I'm disconnected from God and I go to an AA meeting, I'm immediately connected through your connection to the other realm. In an Al-Anon meeting, I meet walls of disconnection. Maybe there are some people who would, but it, the energy is just different. People are self-contained. I don't feel the alcoholic energy in an Al-Anon meeting, and I can usually tell who the alcoholics are in the Al-Anon meeting, then I get connected with my higher power and I can connect to you. But in a world, in a world without Al-Anon, if I weren't an alcoholic, I know exactly who I'd be hanging out with. Uh, which is why I'm very glad I'm here today. I think this is a good time for a break. Should we, should we say the serenity prayer? It's okay. Um, uh, Ellie Sheva, would you like to lead us in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change, courage to change things I can, 
wisdom is now the difference.